You're listening to the Fix the Money, Fix the World Show on the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network. Here's your host, Luke Mikich. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. Thanks again for tuning in, and I uh, hope you guys had a good little Christmas break and holiday break there to anyone out there still doing the uh, fiat mining. It is 2022 as I'm recording this one, so you should all be back at work. Um, today we're going to be introducing a video I recorded with the first Bitcoiner to ever take the banks to the courts, okay? This is an Australian Bitcoiner uh, who's actually become the first Bitcoiner around the world to sue the big banks for debanking him just for using Bitcoin and quote-unquote crypto services. So we're going to be talking about that. We're going to also be talking about what is going on um, in Australia, or as the I like to call it, the Australian Gulag or the open air prison that is Australia, because uh, a lot of people have been asking what's going on. You've got Bitcoiners getting debanked from the banks in Australia. Meanwhile, on the other side, you've also got the largest baseball team in Australia, the Perth Heat, um, adopting a Bitcoin standard. And then you've also got the largest bank in Australia um, telling customers they can now buy Bitcoin in the app. Uh, so a little bit of conflicting messages coming out of Australia. So. I am interviewing a fellow Australian Bitcoiner. I recorded this one many weeks ago, but it's a little bit of a timeless interview. So I'm sure you guys are really going to enjoy this one. Before we get into it, we better hear from today's show sponsor, who is Coinbeast. Do you need Bitcoin support? Well, you can book a one-on-one video call with a Bitcoin pro on Coinbeast Connect. You can ask questions about Bitcoin mining, self-custody, how to set up a multi-sig setups, how to run a full node, how to set up the Lightning Network, and how to accept Bitcoin payments. Simply go to coinbeast.com, select a pro, and find a time when you're available. It's that simple. Learning about Bitcoin has never been easier. Go to coinbeast.com today. Uh, welcome back to the Fix the Money, Fix the World podcast, guys. Today, I'm pleased because I have a fellow Australian on the podcast with me today in Alan Flynn, who has probably one of the more fascinating stories in the Bitcoin space at the moment. So firstly, I suppose we'll get into that late, uh, later. But Alan, thank you so much for coming on, my friend. Really nice to meet you. Welcome, Luke. I'm pleased to join you in the podcast for sure. No worries. I'm, I've been looking forward to getting into this one, but maybe we should start with your background because I suppose that will lead us into uh, the battle that you're engaging in most recently. So maybe uh, you can tell us a little bit about your background, what you're doing before you found Bitcoin, and then maybe that will lead us into your Bitcoin journey. Right. I'm, uh, my background is commercial architecture. I was practicing for 25 years as a project architect in various commercial firms, um, working on all sorts of projects. And um, I was actually working across the road from the Royal Australian Mint. And uh, lunchtimes, I used to go over there and check them out, minting coins. And so I became fascinated by the story of money, and especially hard money. And, um, and that one thing led to another. And uh, you know, I started researching and blogging about precious metals and decided that's what I wanted to do. So I left commercial architecture in 2014 and started traveling across America once a year for the next four or five years. And one year while I was couch surfing throughout America doing my research, I met this guy who was uh, trading Bitcoin. He introduced me to Bitcoin. He said, you should get into it. You know, you could support your uh, research. And um yeah, so in, when I got back to Australia, I signed up, 
on local bitcoins and in 2017 i started operating a micro digital currency exchange so yeah that that's that's how i got into digital currency trading in australia you got a really uh, nice kind of onboarding into the Bitcoin space. Uh, like uh, most people aren't interested in money at all before they find Bitcoin. So uh, that's nice that you were kind of interested in precious metals beforehand. Uh, I was a fellow gold bug myself before finding finding the superior right. digital gold in in uh-huh. big, uh, Bitcoin. But so you you lived For across sure, the road yeah. from the Royal Mint. I was working across the road from the yeah. from the mint. Um, in Canberra, so uh, it's a, it's a it's what's called an institutional area. So it's an area of the national capital set aside for small institutions and businesses. So uh, that's where the company I was working for was um, was housed there. Probably okay. twenty employees, something like that. Oh, that's really interesting. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about your Bitcoin uh, trading business that you were um, operating between twenty seventeen and twenty nineteen, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, it was um, some people call local bitcoins peer-to-peer trading, but it's not really. Local bitcoins is like uh, the oldest escrow service um, that facilitated uh, bitcoin trading uh, way back. And what they do is uh, they basically introducing buyers and sellers. So if you're a, if you're someone who's interested in selling bitcoin. You can set up a profile there, uh, set up your ads, and if someone's interested in buying, um, and they might buy locally, you might meet someone and 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 uh, and buy Bitcoin off them, you know, face to face. That's how it started out, but um, you know things have progressed. But uh, they're in a scrow service, so they they um, when someone sees a seller's ad, and 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 um, applies to buy a certain amount of that bitcoin the escrow uh takes that bitcoin out of the seller's wallet and holds it until the payment is finalized as signaled by the seller and then local bitcoins releases that bitcoin into the buyer's wallet so it's it's like a custodial way of of um supervising the transaction if you like uh, so it's not really peer-to-peer. There is a third party heavily involved. Um, and, and that's how local Bitcoins works. But, yeah, I was operating on there for uh, two years um, as known as Canberra Bitcoin. And, uh, yeah, had uh, built up several hundred uh, clients over the time and, um, you know, well north of uh, probably a couple of thousand trades, two, three thousand trades, nothing huge, but uh, definitely not a hobby. It was uh, business, especially after I became registered as required by uh, the law in 2018. Yeah, you, you say you say it wasn't uh, too large of an operation, but it, it certainly painted a target on your back from the uh, largest banks in Australia. So maybe that'll lead us into why you stopped operating your exchange in 2019 and talk us through the, sure. the struggles with that. Sure. Well, so the banks have uh, ways of detecting whether you're operating a digital currency business or not. A lot of them say that they don't actually target individual uh, cryptocurrency traders, but that's not what everyone's experience bears out for sure. 
Um, there's plenty of individual traders that have had their accounts closed, blocked or whatever by Australian banks. But, um, yeah, so the banks um, detect whether, you, whether you're trading uh, digital currency, you know, in a regular business-like fashion. It's not hard to, you know, set a, set a watch up on, on your transactions for, for picking up that sort of thing. So it wasn't, you know, two weeks after I started uh, trading on local bitcoins that uh, my first account was closed down, my first bank account, that is. And, um, you know, it was a progression thereafter, you know, as a, as a trader, you've always got to have another account on standby just in case you get closed down. And um, hopefully you can transition to that other account, but with, with another bank. Um, but that's not always the case either. And sometimes you get noticed, sometimes you don't. And um, so, yeah, it was a progression of account closures. And then it something didn't feel right to me because... You know, I knew that the banks hated digital currency. Um, everyone knew that. You know, traders used to talk amongst themselves about, you know, what to do. M most traders would open an account with a bank without necessarily disclosing what the purpose of that account was um, and depending on the operation and, and whatever. But it something just didn't feel right to me because it, I was operating a lawful business. There was nothing illegal about selling Bitcoin you know, in Australia. And, and so I thought, well, there's got to be a legal solution. So I went looking for a legal solution and got my nose into the books. And I found out that the ACT has a unique discrimination law that protects you on the basis of your occupation. And so I determined after 2018, when, especially when I became registered as a digital currency exchange with Austrac, that I wasn't going to skirt around the issue anymore. I would approach banks straight up and say, I'm a digital currency exchange, I'm registered, can I have an account? And so in 2019, I did that with two particular banks and they provided me transaction account services and I started trading and I, I was over the moon because you know I'd approached the bank, um, I'd given them a heads up what my business was all about They'd given me an account, so I thought I, you know, I can establish my business properly from here on. But that wasn't the case at all. It wasn't a couple of weeks until both accounts were closed down individually. So unfortunately, the the front of house didn't know what the back of house was thinking, and vice versa. Apparently, well, that's the most puzzling thing about you having all your accounts closed down. You're doing everything above board. You're you're registered. And like you say, there's nothing illegal about buying Bitcoin and just helping facilitate people buy and sell Bitcoin. There's absolutely nothing illegal about it. How many accounts overall do you think you've had shut down by the banking system? Had about 20, 20 separate accounts shut down. By no means is that a record. Uh, there, there is an Australian trader who is, who is operating on local Bitcoins who's had north of 90 accounts shut down. Um, that that's wild. So I had I had twenty, um, but you know I got to the end of the line. I thought, well, if I can't if I can't get an account being upfront and open, I you know I can't continue trading. So that that's how I decided it was going to be. So in December two thousand nineteen, I couldn't find another bank to give me an account, and thereafter I approached north of sixty banks is all I could find in Australia, and I was turned down on every occasion. 
That's that's absolutely wild. Um, you may not have taken the cake uh, and hold the record for having the most bank accounts shut down, but you are creating history in another way. I think, are you, are you the first person to ever um, try and sue um, the banks uh, for discrimination for debanking people due to cryptocurrency? Yes, um, I am the first because that law is only available in the ACT. Um, there's no other states in Australia that have the, it's called a protected attribute. We're all familiar with the um, anti-discrimination attributes of race, gender and age and, and such forth. But um, the ACT has this unique one called profession, trade, occupation or calling. So you can't discriminate against someone on the basis of their occupation in the ACT. And, and that's been tested once in the local tribunal. It was quite a few years ago. Um, but not by a digital currency exchanger. It was tested by a sex worker. That um, protected attribute was designed particularly with sex workers in mind, but they quickly figured out it was going to apply to everyone that needed it in the ACT, but no one else has tested it since. Uh, so, and, and look, I've hunted high and low around the world over the last two years while I've been researching for these cases. I haven't found anywhere else with a protected attribute of occupation. However, that's shortly about to change in Victoria because they're bringing under the uh, Equal Opportunity Act a protected attribute of occupation. And so Victorians will soon have access to that facility as well. That's uh, reassuring for the Australian plebs in Victoria because of late they certainly haven't had the government or any kind of regulation on their side. I can, I'll leave it there, but that's good. They can protect them, protect themselves in another way. Um, but yeah, so maybe walk us through the specific, um, the specific uh, cases and the settlements and who you're suing. Uh, obviously, don't go into any specifics that you can't because uh, you're still in. Um, it's still kind of ongoing in the courts, so don't say anything you you can't. But maybe right. fill us in a little right. bit more about which banks and and those the the specifics of it all. Right. So I. I uh, lodged my complaints for the ACT Human Rights Commissioner against ANZ and Westpac in December 2019. And it, it took until August 2020 for the complaints to progress through the Human Rights Commission. Um, they were closed without any, uh, you know, the Human Rights Commission attempt to conciliate between parties. That was unsuccessful in both cases. And so they were closed and um, under the option, I'm, I was uh, allowed to refer them to the ACT Discrimination Tribunal, and which is where they were until October, basically. So that it, they were both in the tribunal for a year. I was self-representing, um, progressing the cases through. And then in September, I appointed lawyers and um, ANZ decided to approach and offer a settlement um, with three weeks to go before the hearing. And I accepted the terms of that settlement and the Westpac case proceeded and was heard two weeks ago over two days. And uh, yeah, we're waiting on a decision from the tribunal they've reserved. And so, yeah, we're just, I'm just sitting here waiting. I'm, Fascinated to see what the tribunal is going to make of it all. 
there's a number of issues that they've got to actually decide on. It's not just a, it's not just did the bank discriminate against Mr. Flynn. There's a whole bunch of other legal questions that have got to be answered. So was For that instance, a small? Sorry. Yeah. What, go what ahead. We, oh, sorry. We I was just come back to it. We we can come back to it. No, keep going. What were you going to say? Okay, so yeah, there's a number of legal questions that the tribunal's got to answer as far as the Westpac complaint goes. And the first one is, uh, or one of the main ones is, do I possess the protected attribute? In other words, is my occupation really digital currency exchange and is that a protected attribute under the Act? Um, another question is, does the ACT Discrimination Tribunal have jurisdiction over the matter? Uh, that's a biggie. Uh, another one is um, another defence that the bank are claiming is that what they did in... Oh, okay, so the next one would be, uh, did the bank treat me unfavourably in, in debanking me? Um, and then another question is, uh, was the bank acting reasonably by debanking me? And that will determine whether their discrimination was lawful or unlawful. Um, and so that's called the 57N defence. So, yeah, there's a number of questions to be answered and Tribunal certainly got their work cut out for them. There were two uh, senior members presiding over the hearing and um, no doubt they'll be working with each other to uh, come to various decisions. Well, we wish you um, all the best of luck with the battle uh, there, Alan. I, I, so that little settlement you had with ANZ, is that a small little win? Are you able to now open up a bank account with the ANZ? Yeah, well, um, my understanding was uh, when ANZ debanked me, as many of the banks say, they will not ever provide you an account again under any circumstances with the bank and which you know, is, uh, does appear a little heavy-handed to some. Um, however, um, in the settlement, ANZ have advised me that at no stage was I um, debanked for life, and I was certainly open to approach them and apply for another account on the basis of their uh, terms and conditions and policies at the time. So... Um, I'm able to be considered for another ANZ account, but not a digital currency account because their policy has, has not changed. So, um, so yeah, they haven't said that I can have an account. They've just said that I can apply for an account anytime. Um, so, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, there was no money paid. Um, ANZ uh, settlement was um, based on... Uh, an acknowledgement, a written acknowledgement that indeed there was a human rights case to be answered, human rights question to be answered. And, um, and yeah, they released a statement acknowledging that uh, they, they closed my account on the basis that they detected I was operating a digital currency exchange and without checking the details of my risk uh, operations or management um, they closed the accounts and, and they acknowledged that under uh, the Discrimination Act that could have been interpreted as, as unlawful discrimination, but um, without admitting any liability. So it was an extraordinary statement by all means. Um, 
uh, one international expert on financial inclusion has uh, advised that uh, no bank anywhere else in the world has ever issued such a statement. So I think it's uh, moving the needle a bit um, in, in the debate and certainly, certainly welcomed it. Um, look, in, in terms of the settlement, I accepted it because it just didn't make practical sense from my point of view as an unfunded, self-funded litigant um, taking two major banks on in the, uh, in the courts and, you know, paying for all the, the uh, you've got to, there's expenses, like lawyers don't come cheap. So it just didn't make sense to take two identical cases to the tribunal with uh, three weeks to go. So basically, um, you know, one outcome in one was more than likely to be similar in the other. So, yep, ANZ got uh, first mover advantage, you might say. Yeah, well, it's not just the legal expenses. I think when I was reading some of the articles um, about your case and your story, I think you mentioned in there you've had to take 12 months off work just to kind of train yourself up so you can represent yourself in the courts. Uh, what was that whole process like? Well, yeah, I was, uh, I was doing all the research because um, I was the one that discovered, you know, this this law and its potential application to my circumstances. And so there was just a lot of research, uh, looking up case law, trying to find precedent, trying to find, you know, what the bank's um, particular policies were, uh, a lot of uh, media research, uh, case law research. I employed law students to help me uh, write submissions and um, papers and subpoenas and all of that. Um, yeah, look, it was, uh, it was a really busy time. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, I had to, a lot of things had to go by the, by the way. But, um, you know, when you believe in something, you certainly got to follow it through. So this is uh, no exception for sure. This kind of gets to another question I wanted to ask you. Um, you're going through all of this hassle. You must believe in the asset, the underlying Bitcoin itself. Um, well, what are your thoughts on how do you think Bitcoin's going to evolve over the coming five to ten years? Um, and how do you see it kind of changing the world and probably the financial system in particular? Huge question. Very very loaded <laughs> question. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Huge question. Look, I... Look, and you can only ask that because you know I've got a bit of an interest in uh, money. But look, for sure, Bitcoin is a superior asset um, in virtually every sense of the word. And um, and look, my research on precious metals is morphing into, you know, a text about Bitcoin um, for sure. And uh, look, I I'm going to call it I, my book's going to be called the surpassing of gold. And throughout history, every measure of money um, by monetary authorities, anyone, always the gold is this gold is the standard, right? Gold is the test. Gold has been the test. I mean, you just you just got to look at every facet of our language to understand that throughout history, everyone's always compared everything to gold. I mean, we have we we have. Gold gold medal winners in the sports we have you know the golden rule in in uh in terms of uh ethics you know we have uh and, and 
anything government has ever done regarding money has always been in reference to gold. It's only very, very recently since 71, as you're, as you're aware, that, um, that monetary authorities have tried to move away from gold, but um, not always successfully. So, look, my book's going to be called The Surpassing of Gold, and I think um, and it's going to be talking about every operation that monetary authorities have, have tried over the years to get away from gold or get away from the constraints of gold or, or try and replicate gold in some, some way or fashion. And, and when you think about it, Bitcoin really is a monetary authority's dream. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's the perfect substitute for gold. Um, in, in many measures. So, look, um, I, I, you know, and, and I've heard some people posit, for instance, that Bitcoin could have been designed by a, by a government treasury, I mean, as a perfect uh, way of uh, overcoming the gold problem. Um, and, yeah, look, Satoshi certainly had these sort of things in mind when they were, they, he was designing the system. So, you know, they're my thoughts about the monetary qualities of it. Um, and is it stoppable? It, it doesn't seem to be stoppable. I mean, every day, we're, every day we're hearing about how Bitcoin's just progressing and it just does what it does, right? Absolutely inevitable in my eyes, uh, Alan. And I think another big reason I wanted to get you on the podcast today in particular was we just um, seen recently the largest bank in Australia, the Commonwealth Bank, who has, I think, 6 million customers. They've come out and said, you know what, you can buy Bitcoin in our app moving forward. So the absolute hypocrisy for you to go through the biggest banks in Australia debanking you for simply um, using their services for crypto trading. Now they're accepting Bitcoin themselves. So did you see that situation? And it certainly does look to be a step in the right direction for us over here in Australia with that kind of news. Yeah, look, it was uh, fabulous news and a bit of a shock uh, to see one of the big four come out and suddenly declare they were going to enable their clients to on-ramp digital currency, Bitcoin and other digital assets. So it's going to be hugely interesting. We know there's a lot of competition amongst the big four and we know there's a lot of follow the leader sort of thing mentality happening uh, in, in their policies and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, just watch this space. I mean, by no means were Commonwealth Bank the first to get into digital currency because Westpac were a major shareholder in Coinbase. Let's not forget that. Uh, from 2015 onwards, and um, their venture capitalists were on the record as saying that the reason why they got into Coinbase was as a, as an insurance policy. So, um, but yeah, Westpac sold out of uh, Coinbase at the IPO. So um, don't forget now Westpac have this treasure chest of, uh, of funds that they would probably be looking to deploy into the space again. So I wouldn't be surprised to hear something from Westpac in the near future about what they're going to do with digital currency. But the same goes for all of them. I've heard murmurs about ANZ as well. So look, we'll just uh, we'll just have to wait and see what they're going to do. But um, look, I I did think it was a bit rich that um, you know that a bank you know was turning down digital currency exchanges and digital currency businesses, and and let's face it. 
I'm not the first person to suggest maybe there has been an anti-competitive element to it. Um, the ACCC apparently looked into it in, in 2017 and found nothing. But the ACCC also looked into the debanking of uh, foreign currency remittance services and found that, um, and that the banks certainly had no motivation to provide services to uh, currency remitters. So um, based on the, uh, on the fact that uh, digital currency exchanges and currency remitters share exactly the same risk qualities, it's hard to imagine that the ACCC came to two different conclusions about the debanking of both industries. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, so we've we've had the news with Commonwealth Bank, and then I think recently we've got an ETF launching in Australia shortly as well. So it looks as if things are changing pretty rapidly over here in Australia. And I wouldn't mind attributing some of that change to maybe you suing the the big banks over being debanked from Bitcoin, because before this year, they like the Australian banks in particular, have been very negative towards Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, but it looks as if their tune has changed a lot, which is uh, really, really nice to see. Well, there's been, look, there's been a number of things which have been moving the needle. Um, uh, probably the biggest of those has been uh, the interest of, um, of Senator Bragg and the, his Senate committee um, hearing, hearing the issues uh, or willing you know, the whole Senate's been willing to he listen to the issues. They've extended the, they extended the inquiry. Uh, they opened it up to submissions and um, there were an astounding number of submissions to the Senate on the issue of debanking and frank and open and honest um, submissions from everyone, including the regulator uh, and um, digital currency representatives, uh, banks even. So there's been a lot said to the Senate and then... You know they're very they're very frank uh, approach to to the the issue. Um, the Austrac stepped up their commentary on debanking. Um, so you know now three or four times since 2015, Austrac's had something to say about it. And um, so look, there's a number of number of things happening. And like Bitcoin's just rolling on, I think. I think the banks have basically come to the come to the point where, and we knew it would come, where you know it just wasn't in their working anymore in their economic interests to to um, to to stay out of the game. That's the beautiful thing about the incentives in Bitcoin. Everybody everybody has those economic uh, incentives to simply adopt the network. You can't just. You can't just uh, sit there and watch all of your competitors get richer and richer as they adopt Bitcoin. And as the number go up, technology works in Bitcoin, your competitors quickly outpace you and outcompete you. So you simply have to adopt the Bitcoin network, which is, which is a beautiful thing. Um, but circling back to your book that you're thinking about putting together that sounds really interesting and you have to let me know if you put, put all that together and release it because that's something when you do look back into monetary history every single time we've de-pegged away from gold or we've tried to manipulate the money it's always collapsed the money and the economy and you know that's a big thing that a lot of people don't realize today that are getting into bitcoin they don't understand the importance of what we're fixing here. Like paper-backed currencies have failed hundreds and hundreds of times all throughout history. But I suppose if we would go on to a Bitcoin standard and 
adopt a form of money that can't be manipulated, can't be inflated, can't be hyperinflated away, the, the potentials that it could kind of give humanity on, under a kind of sound money system again are, are kind of things that we can't really conceptualise yet. So um, certainly looking forward to that book if you, if you do end up putting it out, Alan. It sounds very interesting. Yeah, we'll watch this space. Uh, hopefully I get a bit of time freed up after the lawsuits and, you know, hopefully hopefully a win. But um, we'll see how we go, you know. It's not over till the fat lady sings, so they say, right? That's right. That's right. Well, I think we've covered just about everything today surrounding the case. Um, it's been a great chat. I've really enjoyed it. Um, is there any kind of final comments or maybe you can let the listeners and the viewers know where they can find you or where they can reach out to you to find more about your case? Sure. Look, I'm uh, trying to be as busy as I can on Twitter. So um, I've got an account uh, that I called uh, debanked but not deterred. But uh, it's at Alan underscore W underscore Flynn. But uh, look, if you if you... Use the search word debanked on Twitter. You'll find me pretty soon. I'm among the top five in that on that subject. But uh, yeah, we've got a website set up with a with a couple of friends have uh, assisted uh, set up a website to crowdfund uh, legal expenses for the for the matters. So you know that's been running for a couple of months. Um, but look, if anyone feels like supporting the cause. Swing by Twitter. Um, got a link in the bio to a web page where, you know, trying to get as much information about debanking in Australia and uh, internationally as possible. And uh, there's a link to the crowdfunding page from there. So, look, if anyone feels like checking out, follow me on Twitter. There'll be plenty of updates on the matters as a, as they proceed. Um, so, yeah, look, we're expecting a some kind of decision between now and Christmas, not sure when. These things can take weeks to decide and then write up and then who knows where it goes from there. All, all we can say is uh, good luck with everything, Alan. I'm sure there's some plebs out there who've heard your story and I'm sure they'd be happy to help you out because it's um, certainly a thing that people just simply shouldn't be discriminated against just because they're helping people buy and sell Bitcoin. That's That's absurd, but... Uh, so um, I'll definitely include your Twitter handle in the show notes below. So any listeners, um, you'll be able to find Alan on Twitter. I do have to say, I love your Twitter handle, debanked but not deterred. I, that made me giggle the first time I saw it. So um, thank you so much for coming on, Alan. It's been an absolute blast and I'll no doubt see you on Twitter. Okay. Thanks, Luke. Pleasure to talk. You too. Thank you. For